Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number nine. Mark chapter number nine this morning. We're going to find our place there. Mark chapter nine for our scripture reading. Of course, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter nine this morning. And we're going to find verse number 41. So Mark chapter nine. Verse number 41, big number nine, small number 41, Mark 9, 41 this morning. And while you're turning, if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 9, verse 41. How many of you have ever sinned? Raise your hand. Let's see. How many of you struggle with sin? Let me see. Raise your hand. How many of you want to overcome your sin? Let me see. Raise your hand. How many of you are tired of raising your hand? Let me see. Raise your hand. I read a story about an old farmer who loaded up his family, his wife and his son. They went into the city for the first time. Never been to the city before. They drove to the tallest skyscraper that they could find. They went inside, standing there in awe of this majestic building, all the ornate things in the lobby. The man and his son stood there for a moment. An elderly lady walked to these two big doors. The doors opened up. She climbed into the elevator. The doors closed. They stood there for just a second, wondering what in the world just happened. A few minutes later, the doors opened back up and out walked this young, beautiful-looking young lady. The older man looked at his son and said, Quick, go get your mother. <laughs> See, he thought he'd turn the old lady into a young, beautiful lady. Do you get it? Okay. If it were only that easy to change, if it were as easy as just... Walking into one room and then walking back out and being changed. In one sense, you can be changed that way. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, the Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. In one sense, it is that easy to be changed. Turn from your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be somebody brand new according to the Bible. But in another sense, if you've already believed on the Lord Jesus and your penalty for sin has been placed on the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ dealt with your sin on the cross. However, the presence of sin is still in us. So how do we deal with the presence of sin? Knowing that the penalty of sin is on Christ, how do we deal with the presence of sin in us? And that's what the passage before us is about. Look at verse 41. The Bible reads, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water in my name, because ye belong to Christ, Verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. 
And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet and be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not for every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? So here's, here, here it is, watch. Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. Teach us how we can change and change us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Today's message is on the subject of dealing radically with your sin. You don't hear a lot of messages about sin anymore. So for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard of such a thing, dealing radically with your sin. But whether this is your first time of hearing of such a reality, or whether you've heard of this before, what you must recognize is that there is a battle that you and I wage in this life. There is a struggle that we have with sin. This is not unique for you and for me. We are not the only ones, we are not the only believers to have ever struggled with sin. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, even the Apostle Paul himself says in Romans chapter number 7 that he finds inside of himself a war, a struggle. And what is the struggle? What is the war that he's talking about in Romans 7? He says, there's a war within my members that the things that I want to do, the things that I know I should do, it seems like I don't do those things. The good that I know I ought to do, I find myself not doing. But I find at present in my body that the things I know I shouldn't do, the things I wish I wouldn't do, the things I wish I could stop doing, and I find that, I find that always with me. And so he says, the whole thing seems turned upside down because I know that Christ has set me free from sin. And yet, there's a presence of sin in me. 
And so Christ has, in one sense, set us free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is separation from God for all of eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. It's described here in this passage as a place where the worm dies not. The fire is not quenched. The fire is never put out. It's a place that Matthew teaches us was prepared for the devil and his angels. It is not God's plan for any person to go to hell. And yet sin has separated us from God. And having sinned, we are, we are sentenced then to the penalty of sin, which is separation from God for all of eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. And when Christ died on the cross, Christ died for our sin. And so the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, what God did is he removed from you and he removed from me this penalty of sin, the consequence of sin. And he made it possible for us to be able to have fellowship with God for all of eternity in a place that the Bible calls heaven. So you can have eternal life if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ has taken your penalty of sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we who are sinners might be made the right made the righteousness of God in him. So this is true. If you believed on the Lord Jesus, this is true for you. But what's also true is while Christ has taken our penalty of sin. Man, here today, we struggle with the reality of the presence of sin in our lives. That you and I are not all that we are supposed to be yet. I don't do everything I should, and neither do you. That's what the songwriter said. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He's, he's still doing a good work in me. But understand this. God will perform his work. This is what Paul says. God will perform his work. He will make you like into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That will eventually happen. But while we live here in this life, we find the presence of sin inside of us. And so we must learn to deal with the reality of sin. And just how should we deal with it? We're going to see three things here in this text. Jesus says essentially three things. He says there's a, there's a way in which you live your life that can enrich or, or, or bless others. So, so this is a word about enriching the lives of others. This is, what he, this is really what he's saying in verse 41. Look at the verse. He says, for whosoever shall give you a cup of water in my name... Because ye belong to Christ, say verily, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. So here's what he says. There's a way that you can live your life which is enriching. It's, it's blessing. It's, it's helping others. And he says this is actually how you ought to strive to live. E even the smallest things that you do to help somebody else in this life, even the smallest acts of kindness, God sees, God is aware of, and God makes note of. Do you understand that? Even the smallest things. Something as small as giving somebody a cup of water, according to Jesus, is noted by God, is recorded by him, and will be rewarded one day in all of eternity. 
So when we help others, when we enrich the lives of other people, when we perform acts of kindness, God sees it, God remembers it, God rewards us for it. Of course, this should be the goal in our lives. The goal in our lives is that we should want people to be closer to Jesus because they were close to us. We should want people to be closer to Jesus because they were closer to us. Is this, is this a goal for you? It ought to be a goal for you. That people having spent time for you know more about him because of the time that they have spent with you. That we should want to enrich the lives of other people. That we should want people to become closer to Jesus by having been close to me. So it's a word about enriching the lives of others. But second, and getting to the topic at hand, this is a, wor- a warning about endangering the lives of others. Look, look at the verse, look at verse 42. He says, and whosoever shall offend. Okay, now I have to, we have to do a little homework on this word offend, okay? How many of you have ever been offended? Let me see, just raise your hand. You've ever been offended? Somebody said something mean to you and they offended you. I, I could have easily been offended. Uh, several people have walked up to me in the church and said, Hey, Pastor, what is that on your face? Are you trying to grow a beard? What do you mean trying to grow a beard? I was very offended by that. That hurt, that hurt my feelings. This is the way that we think of the word offend. When we think of the word offend, we think you said something I didn't like. You hurt, you hurt my feelings. You, 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 you said I, I couldn't grow a beard. My, my own kids said to me yesterday, Dad, you look manly when you have a beard. As if when I don't have a beard... I don't look manly. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm always looking manly. I just want to be very clear. He said, oh, that, that offended me. And that's the way that we use the word in our day. But that is not the way this word is being used. Jesus is not saying, if someone hurts your feelings, or if someone says something you don't like, or, or if, somebody, if somebody is mean to you, or if somebody insults you. He's not saying that. The word offend, listen very closely. The word offend means this. The word offend means to cause to stumble. To cause to stumble. We would understand it like this. To trip somebody up. So if you trip up somebody... If you cause someone to stumble, if you shipwreck someone's faith, if you cause someone to sin, if you watch, whosoever shall cause someone to sin, whosoever shall shipwreck someone's faith, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were cast into the sea. So watch, we got, we got, to, we got to work on the verse. Whoever trips up, whoever causes someone else to sin, whoever 
causes someone else to stumble in this life causes who? One of these little ones, he says. And so sometimes Bible commentators will say, well, the little ones means if you sin against a child, if you cause a child to sin, then that, that means that it would be better that instead of being given a life jacket, you were given a, 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 a rock around your neck and you were thrown out into the middle of the sea. But the word little ones here is actually comparing believers. He's saying if you cause another believer, the way you know that is by using the parallel passages here. It, Jesus says you cannot be a believer if you do not become like a child. You can't be a believer if you think you know all the answers. You can't be a believer if you don't humble yourself like a little one and just put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. You can't be a believer. And so Matthew 18, he compares the little ones, these children, to believers. And so in that same idea, he's saying, if you cause someone else to sin, if you shipwreck someone else's faith, if you trip somebody up and you cause them to fall, if you cause another believer to sin, then he says it's better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So what he's saying here, listen very closely, church. What he is saying here is he's saying that you and I have a responsibility to be concerned about the people around us. You and I have a responsibility to ask ourselves, are we enriching the lives of other people? Or are we endangering the lives of other people? Are we helping people get closer to Jesus by what we say, the things we do, the attitude we have? Or are we making it difficult for people, even tripping people up, keeping them from getting to Jesus? It's very interesting because in Luke's account of this very same teaching, Luke says about Jesus, Jesus begins this conversation by saying, offenses will come. Which is a way of saying that we are all sinful. You live long enough and someone will sin against you. I asked you at the very beginning, how many of you have ever sinned? Let me ask you another question, okay? How many of you have ever been sinned against? Raise your hand. Someone has sinned against you. Raise your hand. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. It's, Im it's impossible, but that offenses shall come. Live long enough and someone will sin against you. Maybe it's a big sin. Maybe it's a small sin. Maybe it's a sin from a coach or from a teacher or from a parent or from a spouse or from a family member, or from a church leader, or from a pastor, or from a stranger. And maybe it's intentional, or maybe it's unintentional. But the reality is that offenses will come. And so Jesus is not minimizing the fact that wrong was done to you. And Jesus is not saying that the wrong that was done to you was not hurtful. Jesus is not saying that the wrong that was done to you was your fault. Jesus is not saying that the wrong that was done to you was fair, because it wasn't. 
And Jesus is in fact saying this, that whoever sinned against someone else and shipwrecked their faith, it would be better that that person get a stone around their neck and thrown into the middle of the harbor at Long Beach and not given a life jacket. That's what he's saying. Hurts come to us. That's true. But here's, here's what I want you to catch. While hurts come to us, hurts should not go through us. You write that down. Hurts come to us. But hurts should not go through us. We have a responsibility to make sure that we are, in fact, enriching the lives of others, not endangering the lives of others. We, we have a responsibility to make sure we're helping people in their faith, not hurting people in their faith. Offenses will come, of course. But offenses should not go through us to someone else. We don't want to cause another brother or a sister to sin. There's enough temptation in this world. There's enough sin in this world. We know that. We're bombarded with it every day. And so we want to be careful that what we are saying to someone else isn't causing that person to trip and stumble and fall in their faith. There's enough temptation in this world already that you and I are having to fight off, that you and I are having to resist, that you and I are having to engage in spiritual warfare against. So don't go gossiping to someone else and cause them to trip and fall in the faith. That's what he's saying. You and I have a responsibility to be concerned about the people around us. That you and I can introduce offenses, temptations, sin, hurt, wrong into other people's lives by the things we say, by the places we go, by the things we tolerate. So let me give you a couple of ways we can be guilty of this. Watch this. First, try to convince someone else to sin against their conscience. Try to convince. How are we guilty of endangering the lives of other people? How are we guilty of hurting the faith of someone else? You try to convince someone to sin, or, or, or you try to convince someone to sin against their conscience. If you want the verse for this, it's Romans chapter 14. It's verse number 23. I want, to be, I want to be very clear here. The conscience is not the voice of God. The word of God is the voice of God. Yes? Say yes if, if you don't agree with that. Okay. The word of God is the voice of God. The conscience is not the voice of God. But hear me on this. The conscience can be energized by God. At one of the ways that the Holy Spirit 
leads us and guides us is in our conscience. What is true is some people have a hyperactive conscience. It goes way beyond the voice of God. Everything that is done, they feel guilty or feel regret or feel shame over. They have not experienced the liberty, the freedom that is theirs in Christ. All things are lawful. That's what Paul says. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. The word expedient doesn't mean fast. The word expedient means beneficial. So all things are lawful for the believer. Christ took your penalty of sin. But not all things are beneficial. Not all things are good for the believer. And so he says, it's not right if you're trying to convince someone else to sin against their conscience. Because one of the ways that God's word guides us, directs us, is by speaking to us in our conscience. And it is either, it is neither right nor safe, Martin Luther. It is either It is neither right nor safe to go against the word of God or conscience. It's not right or safe. So one of the ways we trip up believers is by belittling the things that they feel strongly about. One of the ways that we trip up other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ, is by saying things like, well, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. No, no, we don't want to be guilty of that. We don't want to be guilty of asking someone else to violate their own conscience. Second, a way that we can be guilty of this is by enticing someone to sin against the Lord. By enticing someone else to sin against the Lord. We live in a society that is becoming increasingly sensual. We live in a society... That is increasingly sensual. We're driven by all of these these sensual things. All these provocative images. All of these things that cause the mind to wander. And it is our responsibility to be sure to live in a way, whether male or female... It is our responsibility to live in a way that we are not enticing someone else to sin against the Lord. Now this, this flies in the face of our society because our society says, well look, if, if, you are, if you have a problem with lust, well that's your problem. And that's, not, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible says is, no, we we live in community with each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ in this way. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility to ensure that we are not enticing or leading others astray to sin against the Lord in some way. Yes? Well, don't get quiet on me on that one. How do we endanger How do we shipwreck someone's faith? Enticing them to sin against their own conscience. Or or convincing them to sin against their own conscience. Second, enticing someone to sin against the Lord. Third, ridiculing someone because of their devotion in the Lord. Quite frankly, some of us are convicted that, that, that we have some behavior in our life. Something that we do that we know is wrong. We know we shouldn't do it. 
And so in order to alleviate ourselves of our own conviction, what we do is we belittle all the people around us. So we start putting everybody else down because their life choices, their convictions, their devotion convicts us. And we don't like that. So we try to drag them down in this way. You need to remember this. Jesus here is talking to the disciples. Yes? Jesus is talking to the disciples. And of course he talks to the disciples about love. And he talks to the disciples about peace. And he talks to the disciples uh, about joy. But he also talks to them as followers of Christ. We need to be aware that the reality of hell, that hell is a real place. And we want to be very careful that our actions that our attitudes, that our behaviors, that the things we are doing are not endangering the lives of people around us. So it's first, it's a word about enriching the lives of others. We want lives that are blessing to others. I want people to be closer to Jesus because they were close to me. Yes? Second, he gives us a warning here. A warning about endangering the lives of others. We have a responsibility as God's people to be concerned with the people around us. Why should we be concerned about the people around us? Because hell is a real place. Because our soul, spirit and body live for eternity in some place, whether heaven, because of faith in Christ alone, or hell, because you've rejected Christ and gone our own way. Third. Third. Last idea. It's a warning about how to eliminate sin in our own lives. So this is what he says in verse 33. So if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell and into the fire that shall never be quenched. Jump down to verse number 45. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Because it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having, I'm sorry, verse 45 is thy foot, verse 47 is your eye. So watch, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about giving up anything that stands between us and our Savior. The hand, the foot, the eye, it's cut off, it's plucked out. Why? Or, or, or how, how would we know this? Because they're, they're occasions of sinning. They're, they're causing us to fall. They're shipwrecking our faith. So watch. I'm going to be very clear about something. He's teaching us that sin is an inside job. If thy hand offend thee, personal pronoun, thy, your hand. So it's true in one sense that you and I can be guilty of causing someone else to trip and fall. But what, it, but what is also true is that if someone trips and falls, they have a personal accountability and responsibility to God for their sin. No one gets in front of the throne of God and goes, well, I wouldn't have sinned if it wasn't for her. No, you don't get to do that. No, thy hand offend thee, personal pronoun. Thy foot, your eye. 
If it offends you, sin is an inside job. He's already told the disciples, he's already told the Pharisees this. You'll remember back in Mark chapter number seven, he's teaching the Pharisees where does sin come from? The Pharisees think sin comes from the outside. If as long as you don't touch anything dirty, then you'll never be dirty. And Jesus says, no, this is not how it works. It, dirt and filth doesn't get into you from the outside. It comes into you from the inside. Every thought of evil intent, every murder, every adultery, every idolatry, even lying. It's all come from your own heart. It came out of you, which is why you need to be made brand new. It's why all the external trappings of religion won't cut it. So you need to be someone brand new and the only way to become someone brand new is to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death, burial, and his resurrection. In James chapter 1, James writes on this very same idea. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When he is drawn away of his own lust. When he is drawn away of his own lust. His own lust. It's his own. Do you understand? What is that doing? It's putting a personal responsibility. Do hurts come to you and to me? Yes. Have people sinned against you? Yes. Have people done things to you that were wrong? Yes. But it's your own hand. It's your own eye. It's your own foot. It's your own lust. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth, it bringeth forth death. How do we eliminate sin in our lives? I don't have time today, but let me give it to you. We've done this already. Romans chapter 6 preached an entire sermon, actually several sermons through Romans 6. You can find them on our websites. You should go back and listen to them. But Romans 6, we said there's three ways. There's three ways that we ought to be dealing with our sin. We said, first of all, reason. Think of who Christ is. Think of what Christ has done. Think of the price that Christ has paid. Think of the awfulness of sin. Think of how terrible sin is. Sin is so terrible that the only way that I could be made right from my sin was for God to die on the cross for me. Think of how awful sin is before you sin. Think of how atrocious it is. We think very lightly of sin today. So he says, first, you want to eliminate sin first, reason. Second, reckon. He says, reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin. So, so remind yourself, I'm dead to sin. Sin doesn't have any power over me. Christ died for my sin. All my sin was placed on him. And so reckon this. Reason. How terrible sin is. Reckon yourself indeed dead unto sin. Before you believed in Jesus Christ, sin was your master. But now that you've believed in Christ, Christ is your master. You're servants of God. You're, you're children of his. You don't belong to the children of the devil anymore. You are not children of the liar. No, you're children of your father which is in heaven. So walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, he says. So reckon, think about it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go any farther, reason. You know how terrible this is? Reckon, 
Reckon yourself indeed dead unto sin. This, this doesn't have any power over me. Sometimes what we do is we keep telling ourselves, no, I'm, just, I'm really tempted. This is just a weak spot for me. This is just a weak spot for me. This is just a weak spot for me. No, 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 not if you're a believer. No, if you're a believer, you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So reckon yourself indeed dead unto sin. And then third, replace, which is what he's talking about here. Replace. Replace. Listen, replace. 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 So if you know that going to a particular location is always leading you into sin, stop going to that location. Yes? If you know that whenever you hang out with this person, it takes you to bad places, stop hanging out with that person. Yes? Oh, it's just not that simple. No, sometimes it actually is that simple. We're the ones who complicate it. Well, I could be better, and he's my friend, and they'll get their feelings hurt. Better, watch, better for their feelings to be hurt than for you to be cast into hell. That's what he says. Sin is, in fact, no respecter of persons. So sin's an inside job. You should write that down. Sin is no respecter of persons. Here's what I mean by this. Some people are more prone to one sin than the other. For, for example, some people are more prone to the sin of gluttony than others. You know what the sin of gluttony is, right? How many of you know what the sin of gluttony is? Raise your hand. So if you're more prone to the sin of gluttony, you're sitting there, you find yourself enticed, you find yourself being pulled away with key lime pie, chocolate chip cookies, brownies, not double doubles, but quadruple doubles from in and out apples, donuts, well not apples, <laughs> donuts, you have no room for apples. What are you going to do? In that moment, you see all of this. What are you going to do? Here's what he says to do. He says, take your hands and your eyes and your feet. Why, why your hands and your eyes and your feet? Watch. Why your hands and your eyes and your feet? Because your hands and your eyes and your feet are what led you to that place on your journey. He's talking, it's very simple to understand. Jesus, Jesus here is not saying, now I want you to go home and get a rusty spoon and pluck out your eye and come to church next week with a patch over your eye. What happened to you? Oh, I was tempted. I couldn't help it. What Jesus said to do. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying those things that are taking you, watch, watch. You have a sin of gluttony. That's what you're prone to. Watch. You should probably not go to Krispy Kreme when the hot light is on. Standing there looking at a fountain of glaze, a waterfall of glaze as these nice warm donuts are running underneath and going, wow, I have the sin of gluttony and I've already eaten, but wow, that looks good. But I shouldn't do this, but whoa, that looks really warm. Can I smell one? Can I just smell it? I just like to, I don't want to buy it. I just want to sniff it, please. And people are like, no, you need to buy it if you're going to buy it. Well, you can't, I can't just buy one. It's a much better deal if you buy 24. 
Look how many you can, look, look how cheap they are if you buy four dozen. It's, it's a much better deal. You know what he says to do? You find yourself there. How did you get there? You used your eyes. You used your hand. You used your feet. That's how you got there. So what should you do? Use your eye. Use your hand. Use your feet and walk away. Do you understand? I'm just tempted every time I go to that place, every time I hang out with that person, every time I look at this thing, I just find myself tempted. Then stop! Every sin, every sin's an inside job and sin is no respecter of persons. Remember the children's hymn? Be careful little hands what you touch. Be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little eyes what you see. For there's a father up above who's looking down in love. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Proverbs chapter, 20, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14. Write this down. Proverbs 4, 14. Listen to what he says. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not the way of evil men. You hear what he said? Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not the way of evil men. So if your feet put you on a path you open yourself up to the possibility that all that is on the path, all the evil that is on that path will become an occasion for you to use your eyes, to use your hands, to use your feet in order to sin against your Father which is in heaven. So don't go down the path. Don't go down the path. How many of you have heard the, the saying, let go and let God? How many of you have heard that before? Let me see. Let go and let God. Packer on this point, he says, when it comes to sin, it is not let go and let God. When it comes to sin, it is trust God and get going. In other words, you know your own heart. You know you're susceptible. You know you're prone to A, B, or C. So the answer is you don't sit around and wait for God to intervene and magically transport you out of the Krispy Kreme. Oh, here I am at Krispy Kreme. God, please take me away from Krispy Kreme. Please take me away from Krispy Kreme. Please take me away. No, it's not going to happen. Use your hands, use your feet, use your eyes and walk away. The answer for you, when you find yourself in that predicament, is ask yourself, how did you get there? You got there using your eyes. You got there using your hands. You got there using your feet. So use your feet and use your hands and use your eyes and get out. You remember the story of Joseph? Mr. Potiphar away. Mrs. Mrs. Potiphar is home alone. And what does she do? She grabs Joseph. She's very bold. She grabs Joseph. She chases him down. She, come, she says, come to bed with me. And what does the Bible do? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that Joseph turned around and said, Lord, please take me away from here. Lord, please take me away from here. Lord, please take me away from here. No, what did Joseph do? He ran. And he left his coat. He ran. He literally streaked out of the house. Imagine, that was a sight, right? He got out of there, that's what he did. 
And so should you and so should I when temptation comes. Nothing is worth separating you. Nothing is worth coming between your soul and the Savior. So get rid of it, gouge it out, lose it, chop it off. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I buffet my body, lest having preached to others, I myself am a castaway. Why is this so important? It is so important because we're talking about life and death. We're talking about heaven and hell. That's why. That's what he's saying. It's so important because what's on the line here? Life and death, heaven and hell. Look down at verse number 50. Watch this. Here's what he says. Salt is good. But if the salt hath lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Watch. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. There isn't a lot that you can do to keep someone from sinning against you. That's true. But you can determine. You can determine what you will do once you have been sinned against. When someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you in some way, you know what we tend to do? We tend to pay close attention to the wrongdoer. We amplify the hurt. The Bible is saying, instead of, instead of, instead of focusing on the wrongdoer, instead of focusing on the hurt, instead of allowing that to stay under the surface, instead of allowing that to control you, make you angry, mad, no, be deliberate. Be deliberate in being salt and having peace with one another. You say, Pastor, if somebody's wronged me, though, what should I do? Here's the answer from the Bible of what you should do if someone has wronged you. Forgive them. What? I don't like that answer. I don't like that answer either, but that's the Bible's answer. You should forgive them. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18 about a man who's a king. The king has a servant who has a huge debt. It's like $10 million in today's money. The servant comes to the king and says, I can't pay this. The king says, well, it's too late. It's payday. It's time to pay up. You, you owe me the money. The servant says, I can't. Please be patient with me. Please be patient with me. He begs the king, falls on his knees, asks for mercy, asks for the king to be patient, to forgive him the debt. He says, I know I owe you 10 million, but, but, but please. The king could have taken the man, could have thrown him to the torturers. So Matthew 18, verse 27 says, but instead the king is patient. He says, fine, I, I'm not going to auction you off to the highest bidder. I'm not going to take your family and your house and your possessions. I'll show mercy. The man goes away from the king, having been forgiven $10 million dollars. Now here's where the story gets crazy. The man who is forgiven $10 million goes right out from there and he finds another guy who owes him money. But in the, in the story, the man owes him a, a, a far less amount. It's like $11.72. So he grabs the man, he slams him up against the wall, he starts choking him, he's shaking him. He says, give me my $11.72! Or I'm going to throw you in prison. 
And the man who owed this fella $11.72 doesn't have it. And so the man throws the guy into prison. He turns him over to the torturer. The king hears about this. He calls for that man who owed him $10 million. And he says, you are a wicked servant. You are a wicked servant. I canceled all your debt because you begged and asked me to. You should have had mercy on your fellow servant as well. Because I had mercy on you. And in his righteous anger, the king turns the man over to the jailers to be tortured. And he sets the man who owed $11.72 free. The king who delivered one servant from prison, now that same servant, watch, put himself back in prison. Do you know why? Because he refused to forgive. Unforgiveness is like putting yourself in prison once you've been set free. Unforgiveness is like putting yourself in prison once you've been set free. Will offenses come to you? Will they come to me? Yes. Hurts will come to us, but they shouldn't go through us. They shouldn't go through us. We should strive to live our lives in a way that it's enriching others, blessing others, helping others, not endangering them. We have a responsibility in that way. But we should also recognize sin in us. And we should strive to do everything we can to eliminate the sin in us. Sin is an inside job. And it's no respecter of persons. God has set you free from your sin through Christ. 